For the beginning gardener, microgreens are an easy way to start a hobby of growing vegetables indoors. And with the cooler weather, yeah, let's let's do a little indoor gardening. What are microgreens, you ask? Well, that's why we're talking with Master Gardener Gail Pothauer. She is very knowledgeable about microgreens. And uh, Gail, what a great way to get the whole family involved in uh, doing some indoor gardening, because when you grow microgreens, they grow fast. Oh, yeah. they Depending on what it is you're growing, and we can talk about the varieties in a few minutes, but they can be harvested a week after you plant them, a couple weeks after you plant them. So it's a great activity to have with kids because it's quick they're different they look different than plants growing out in the garden and it's just kind of fun they and it's a quick reward you know you grow it in a week or two you've harvested them and then they're cute little things that you're eating and and this isn't a main course i I like how the university of florida described it in their uh, information on microgreens they describe it as vegetable confetti Right, and it's, uh, I like to describe it as houseplants that you can eat. <laughs> yeah, and basically it's, it's, a, it's a garnish, but you can put it in what? Soup, stew, salad, sandwiches? Yeah, so you, you fill can a taco it with pizza. it? Yeah, yeah, a taco would be great, or if you did like a spring roll or something, you know, instead of using sprouts, you could use uh, microgreens. Um, great on appetizers. I just They're fun to use. They are tasty, and um, yeah, I like to use them in a salad. That's mostly how I use them. There are a lot of great charts and information about growing microgreens. We'll have a very thorough list in the notes for today's episode of Garden Basics. One of the best is from Johnny's Seeds, and they have a very nice chart of microgreen varieties and uh, how long they take to grow and uh, their flavor and uh, their color because you might as well make it pretty mix up the colors oh absolutely and the colors are very intense so if you're growing something like a red cabbage or beets or something like that that have really colorful stems and leaves the color seems to be a little more intense uh, when they're at the tiny little first leaf stage so it, it adds a lot of color to whatever, whatever you're eating they're very tasty as well I think we should point out right off the bat here that when we're saying microgreens, we're not just talking about leafy greens. We're talking about a wide range of herbs, flowers, vegetables that you can grow on a sunny windowsill. Right. And not to be confused with sprouts, which are grown in water. Uh, Microgreens are actually grown in a potting media, like a potting soil or a germination mix. And after about a week or two after the cotyledon comes up, which is the first little seed leaf, uh, and then you get the first true leaf, that's when you would harvest them. You just give them a haircut right above the soil line. And so, yeah, they're different than sprouts. They're also different than baby greens. Baby greens were something you would grow to a little larger stage, like lettuce or spinach. You'd grow it until it looks more like the mature plant, only still small, and then you harvest that. So microgreens are kind of in between the sprouts and the baby greens in size. And what surprised me, a lot of these references uh, mention that lettuce isn't a particularly good uh, subject for microgreens, is it? No, because they're really tender and wilt easily. So they actually work better as baby greens, where you can harvest a few of the the leaves that look more like the mature leaf, only they're still tender. So they're delicious and tender, but they're almost too tender to use as microgreens. They're delicious, they're tender, and let's talk about the nutrition in in microgreens. It's amazing. Oh, absolutely. There was um, 
a study done several years ago by the University of Maryland and the U.S. Department of Agriculture that showed that microgreens can contain four to 40 times more nutrients than their mature counterparts. And I know that there's still ongoing research to determine, you know, if that's accurate or um, the different values in the different um, crops. But they are very nutritious and they're tasty and they're easy to grow. And I'd say give them a try. They're absolutely fun to grow. In the Journal of Food and Agriculture, they measured the nutrient value of 25 microgreens and their study showed that the ones that had the highest concentration of a lot of good nutrition included red cabbage, cilantro, garnet amaranth, and green daikon radish. They had the most vitamin C. But I guess, Gail, before we uh, go much further, let's talk about the setup for growing microgreens. And we're going to be talking about a lot of different herbs and vegetables and flowers that you can grow on a sunny windowsill. So as long as you've got kind of a sunny spot, maybe a south or a west facing window, you can set up your own little kitchen farm. Right. And because the microgreens grow so quickly, the say seven to 14 days typically before you harvest them, they don't really need a lot of light. So they can actually be grown under conditions that are less than ideal. You know, not a lot of sun um, just because they grow so quickly. And the ideal soil temperature is about 60 to 75 degrees. So I, when I grow mine, I Put them on a heating mat. You don't have to, but it helps germination. And the ideal air temperature is about 60 to 70 degrees, which is room temperature. So you don't really need to have uh, real bright light. You don't need to have grow lights, although that can help. As I say, because they grow so quickly, they don't really need as much light as a plant that you're going to be growing for a couple of months. So they're ideal for growing indoors during the winter, especially if you live in a real cold climate where, you know, during the winter, you have this long stretch of time where you can't really grow anything outside. Um, so you can certainly grow things in the house. So a windowsill is great, um, gives it just enough light for the plants to it photosynthesize a little bit before you harvest them. I would strongly recommend people get a seed propagation kit. It, it solves a whole host of problems. It'll keep those young seedlings warm, and it allows a place for water to drain off that you can easily empty. There's a lot of seed propagation kits available online. The cost ranges from 25 to $75. The good ones usually have a high dome, a tray that has a slightly raised bottom that allows the water to go even lower. And many of them come with seed trays, and that makes the job a heck of a lot easier as well. And they have a propagation heating mat as well that you were talking about. And by having one of those kits, uh, it makes it easy. In fact, uh, you're going to get hooked on growing things in basically what is an indoor greenhouse. Right, and I do have those same kits. I've assembled one over the years. So I have the heating mats, I have the humidity domes, I have the long trays. But what's nice about growing microgreens is you can recycle containers. So I save deli containers because they have a little lid that pops off. I wash them really well. You want to have everything sanitized. I poke drain holes in the bottom of the deli container, put my potting mix in there, plant my seeds, and then I use the lid uh, as a humidity dome. So I keep that on top. So you don't have to go to the expense of getting this 
uh, elaborate seed starting uh, setup. I highly recommend you do that, however, because you can do a little, so many other things. You can start your tomatoes and peppers and things like that uh, indoors, but you don't have to. And if you just put it in a warm spot for germination, um, that works just fine. Then as soon as the seeds germinate, take that lid off so that you don't have uh, keep trapping too much humidity. And yes, you do want to be sure to have some sort of a tray on the bottom to catch the water because... You do need to have drainage holes in your container. Exactly. You need to um, not allow that soil that is growing those uh, microgreens to get too soggy. It, it needs drainage, and that's why the uh, propagation uh, kits with that bottom, with the uh, ribbed bottom to allow the water to drain even lower is is ideal for uh, easily emptying. We talked about uh, the fact that there are fast-growing and slow, slower-growing varieties of microgreens you can grow. And let's talk about fast-growing. When we're talking fast-growing, 10 to 15 days until they're harvested. And that's the other thing we didn't mention is how to harvest a microgreen. So you're planting seeds, you wait 10 or 15 days, and then what, you clip them with the scissors? Yeah, kind of like give them a haircut. So a, a clean pair of sharp scissors kind of hold on to the the upper portion of the microgreens, kind of a handful, and then just clip them just above the soil line. So you don't want to get a lot of uh, potting mix in with your microgreens if you can help it. But you can always <clears throat> kind of rinse those off afterwards. But, yeah, it's really easy. Just give them a haircut. And I would suggest that whatever you grow, be sure that it's something that's edible. And so the best choices are cool season crops like leafy greens, herbs, or edible flowers, as you mentioned, Fred. So I would forget about growing something like tomato microgreens oh, because yeah. they're not edible. You know, they contain solanine, which is toxic. I would say just be sure that anything that you grow for microgreens need to be edible. They need to um, you know, be an edible flower or an herb that, that would be edible as its mature counterpart. Anything in the brassica or cabbage family would be perfect. So arugula, broccoli, cabbage kale, kohlrabi, even radishes. And speaking of radish, I just ran across a variety that is not hairy. Uh, radishes have a hairy leaf, and I'm kind of a textural person. It gives me, I don't know, kind of disturbs me a bit to have this hairiness on my tongue when I eat radish leaves. But there's a new variety out that is hairless. It's uh, carried by Kitazawa oh, seed. I think they're in the Bay Area. And it's called I don't know how to even say it. S-A-I-S-A-I. Sai-Sai. So if you want to grow radishes and you're bothered by the hairiness of the leaves of radishes, that's a variety you can grow. But anyway, you can also grow things like chard, beet, peas, nasturtiums. Any annual herb like basil or cilantro or parsley would work well as well. We'll have a link to Kitazawa's Seed. They're based in Berkeley or o- Oakland. We'll have a link to Kitazawa's Seed in the show notes. They have a lot of, of great Asian vegetables uh, that would be ideal for this situation we're talking about. Oh, here. yeah, all the bok choy mm-hmm. and kat and all those Asian greens are perfect for uh, growing its microgreens. Mm-hmm. And uh, to uh, go back to Johnny Seed's list of microgreen varieties that are fast-growing, they include borage, celosia, Salad, burnet, sorrel, uh, arugula, broccoli, cabbage, the Chinese cabbages, collard, cress, if you want to grow that, kale, 
I'm going in alphabetical order. You could probably tell. Uh, kohlrabi, <laughs> maizuna, uh, mustards, the pak choys, like we mentioned. Uh, they they may mention several radish varieties. And uh, something that I'm not familiar with called tatsoi. Yeah, those would all be perfect. Those are all cool season crops, and uh, they're ideal for growing as microgreens. I do want to mention that when you are growing the microgreens, I think I mentioned earlier, if you're recycling a container, be sure it's clean. You don't want any contamination. And you don't need to have a deep container either, something that just has an inch or two of soil, because the roots are not going to be growing long enough to need a deeper container in order to, to develop the roots, because you're going to harvest them in a week or two. And then after you plant your seeds, put them on the soil surface, kind of tamp them in a little bit, maybe sprinkle on a little more potting mixture, and give them a spritz to put on your plastic wrap or whatever you're using for a dome to hold in the humidity. As soon as the seeds germinate, take that lid off, take it off the heat and put it under lights, whatever lights, uh, your windowsill or grow lights that you're using. And then when you continue to water, start watering from the bottom. So whatever tray you have your container in, fill that with water, set the container down, let it soak up from the bottom then remove it, let it drain, pour the water out of the bottom tray. Because if you start watering from the top, once those plants get to grow, they're really fragile and you can knock them over and you know, kind of smash them a little bit. So it's easier to water them from the bottom once they have germinated. Unless you have a really fine mister of a watering system indoors to do that. Right. And I have done that, but I have noticed that as the plants get a little bit taller, you know, I like them an inch or two before I harvest them, when even with my fine mister, it does tend to weight them down and knock mm. them over. Among the uh, slower-growing microgreens that you can grow indoors, and these take about 16 to 25 days uh, to get up to an inch or two tall, basil, who, who thought of that? Basil, cilantro, uh, dill, fennel, marigolds even. And among the slow-growing vegetables, and again, slow is only 16 to 25 days, that's not bad. Amaranth, bull's blood beet, uh, the yellow beets, uh, carrots, uh, chard that you mentioned earlier, even dandelions, uh, purslane, scallions. There's a lot out there that you can be growing indoors as microgreens. So it might be uh, ideal to have two trays, if not more than two trays, one with uh, the fast-growing varieties and one with the slower-growing varieties. Right, because I when I first started out, I combined uh, several different uh, varieties in one small little tray. And then when I was ready to harvest the quick-growing ones, it was kind of hard to do without damaging the ones that were still growing. So I would recommend growing them in separate trays or if you can identify the ones that germinate at the same rate, you could mix them that way. But if you want to have a mix of microgreens, it might be better just to grow some small containers of individual and then mix them after you harvest them. That's kind of the easier way to go. I guess one idea might be to save your old uh, egg cartons, uh, punch a small hole in the bottom of uh, each of the uh, cells and uh, grow it inside egg cartons. Well, that's a thought. I had never occurred to me to do that, but you certainly could. Uh, ordinarily, something that small and shallow is not recommended for growing plants because um, it takes longer for the plant to grow to seedling size if you're growing for seedling. 
and there's not enough root space. But for microgreens, because they don't grow that long, only a week or two, that shallow egg carton should be ideal. Also, you don't have to be very exact, do you? When you plant the seeds for microgreens, you can actually sow them rather thickly and definitely don't use the spacing indicated on seed packets. If you look at that Johnny Selected Seeds suggestions for planting microgreens, they say that sowing six to eight large seeds per square inch is about right. And if they're small seeds, about 10 to 12 per square inch. And, you know, you just you just kind of eyeball it when you uh, put those seeds in. And I would imagine, too, that since microgreens are harvested well before they reach maturity, they don't need to be thinned. And since they're growing for such a short time, they probably don't need to be fertilized either, do they? Right. Growing microgreens is easy, but I, I think one very important tip is use, as you alluded to earlier, use a seed starting mix for your soilless mix. You don't want to use soil from the garden. And why wouldn't you want to use soil from the garden? For a number of reasons. Um, soil out of your garden will undoubtedly contain uh, microorganisms that could cause disease. So fungal spores, things like that. You don't want to have those microorganisms in your starting mix because it can affect the germination of you know, the seeds. It could cause damping off or some other diseases. Plus, garden soil is pretty dense. It's um, not fluffy and doesn't let a lot of oxygen in. It's fine for growing out in the garden, but in containers, any type of container, garden soil is not recommended because it is too dense and water can't percolate through it very well. And it just doesn't allow enough oxygen exchange in for the plant's roots. So get a good germination mix or a seed starting mix or even potting soil, which are generally peat-based or core, which is from um, coconut husks and perlite and vermiculite, things like that, that allow for drainage. They can hold water, but it does allow a lot of oxygen and air to get in there. So something that is light and fluffy, and it's usually a commercial mix that you buy. So that's what I recommend highly. Exactly. And you don't want to buy a bag labeled garden soil mix either. Right. Right. And actually, anything that has compost in it, um, unless it's commercially composted, I would steer away from that. I would hesitate to add the compost that I make in my compost pile because there still could be some disease spores in there and things like that. So I would stick with something that has peat or sphagnum moss or core with perlite and vermiculite. Right, yeah, peat, perlite, vermiculite is the usual combination in those uh, seed starting mixes. One tip, though, peat moss and even for that matter, core are very difficult to keep moist. And one easy trick is to, when you buy a bag of uh, the seed starting mix, cut off the top, set the bag outside upright, fill it with water, and let it sit for a few hours in all that water. And that will then pre-moisten it, and then you don't have to worry about the chance of it drying out as you're growing your uh, uh, microgreens. Right. So when whatever you're using, whatever potting mix you're using, be sure it is pre-moistened. So uh, in the container that I have my potting soil, I make sure that it's moist. I then put that in my container, my deli container or whatever I'm using, uh, tamp it lightly and then put in the seeds and water it again. If you're putting the seeds directly in a dry potting media, it might be very difficult to get the whole area moistened if you're watering from the top. So be sure it's pre-moistened before you plant the seeds. 
So after these microgreens are about an inch or two tall and you cut them off at the uh, soil line with scissors, what do you do with them then, Gail? Well, they are pretty fragile, so it's recommended that you harvest them just before you need them. So you've prepared your meal and you want to sprinkle them on a salad, go cut them and sprinkle them on your salad. However, um, they are able to be stored in the refrigerator. So once they're cut, put them in a plastic bag with a paper towel and they could store for several days. But what I learned um, the last time I did some microgreens, I had a small deli container with mustard, I think it was, and I didn't use it all. I stuck the whole container in the refrigerator, and it lasted for several weeks. So then I was able to bring the container out, harvest what I wanted, and put it back in. I didn't even put a plastic bag or anything over it. It was just the container itself in the refrigerator. So if you are using a small enough container where you can do that, it works great. I wouldn't recommend putting a big flat in your refrigerator. But anyway, was able to keep the microgreens fresh. They didn't continue to grow because the cold kind of stopped their growth, but it kept them fresh for at least two weeks. Two weeks. Wow. Yeah, I was amazed. So that if if you find out that your family has a favorite one or two microgreen varieties that they really like, that would be a good idea is to grow them in smaller containers that uh, when you're ready to harvest them, you can just stick it in the refrigerator. Right. I wouldn't recommend it for something like basil. Basil is pretty tender, and when you store basil, the herb, you know, if you buy a a bunch of basil or harvest a big bunch of basil, if you put it in the refrigerator, the the leaves tend to turn black. So it isn't a great thing to do with basil because it doesn't respond to cold temperatures very well. But most others of the brassicas or anything in the cabbage family, the cool-season crops, would be just fine in the refrigerator. And ladies and gentlemen, that's how you get dirt under your fingernails in the wintertime. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes, then that's what we're going for here. And again, in today's show notes, you're going to find a complete list of resources where you can find out more information about microgreens as well as the uh, seed propagation kits and a lot more. We've been talking with Sacramento County Master Gardener Gail Pothauer. Gail, thanks for turning us on to microgreens, something to do, something the whole family can do indoors during the winter. Thank you, Fred. Are you trying to grow a salsa garden? It's great that most of the ingredients for salsa ripen at about the same time in the backyard garden. You've got your tomatoes, peppers, onions, garlic. And actually, if you wait until September or October to make the salsa, there might be some limes ready from your lime tree if you live in a climate where citrus can grow outdoors. But there is one ingredient that throws off that salsa recipe timing, and that's cilantro. But it depends where you live. If you live in a moderate summer climate, you might be able to grow cilantro in the summertime. But if you're in a hot summer climate, well, you can forget about it. Cilantro is going to bolt. It's going to turn bitter and send up flower stalks. But that has the advantage of attracting beneficial insects to those flowers. So there is that. In warm to hot summer climates, cilantro is a cool season crop. It's planted in the fall and harvested in late winter to early spring. That's not exactly tomato time. However, if you were listening to episode 16, you heard Renee Shepard of Renee's Garden Seed Company offer us a tip on growing cilantro in hot climates. 
use a row cover and pick it when it's very young. Mm, the hotter okay. it is, the younger you pick it. Mm-hmm. I have uh, seen it grow up in the Napa Valley. I work with a grower there who actually, beside growing some seed for us, he grows um, very fancy greens for uh, fancy restaurants in San Francisco, and he and it's very hot up there. I know it's hot where you are, too, but they get up in the early hundreds quite a bit, and that's how he's pretty successful. He actually uses the row covers and afternoon shade. He managed to get cilantro through the summer. Renee reminds us that even though you're harvesting the cilantro at a very young age, you increase your chances of success by planting it where it gets afternoon shade. Now, there are summer growing substitutes for cilantro that you can find in just about any Internet search. Mint, basil, parsley, and chives, for example. However, there are herbs that ripen in the summer that contain a more cilantro-like flavor. Most of these herbs originate in Southeast Asia, usually Vietnam, and they're available at better nurseries, or you can order the seeds. According to Rose Lovall's sale of Morning Sun Herb Farm in Vacaville, one of the best cilantro substitutes includes Vietnamese coriander, which is also called rau rum. The flavor is very similar to cilantro with a hint of lemon and without the soapiness that's often associated with cilantro. It makes a great cilantro substitute during the summer when other cilantro species suffer and die under the hot, dry conditions. So I was looking at Instagram the other day and up popped Brad Gates feed from Wild Boar Farms and he was doing an experiment with lettuce and I totally stole the idea. It's called a cheapskate salad bowl. If you want greens in a hurry and you want to be able to grow greens in the summertime before they bolt, this is a cheap, easy way to have a year-round supply of lettuce and other greens. First of all, Brad Gates, uh, thanks for joining us. And tell us a little bit about Wild Boar Farms. But let me tell everybody that if you like tomatoes, if you like to grow tomatoes, you need to be familiar with Wild Boar Farms. Yeah, thanks, Fred. Um, Yeah, living and breathing tomatoes for the last 25-ish years. But yeah, I like to grow everything. And that was just uh, something I hadn't done in several years. And I thought this would be the perfect time to to bring it back and try to share it too because it's such a quick easy satisfying training wheels almost method of of growing some food and it's uh, perfect for kids it's perfect for adults it's it's perfect for if all you have is perhaps a, a part shade patio you could do this yeah yeah and one of the keys too i actually just moved them to where they're only getting a few hours of morning sun and then bright sky but no direct sun now that it's in the middle 80s and more or whatever so that's they grow actually quite well even without without too much sun exposure once it gets warm so it's kind of uh one of the things is you can move them around into wherever they're going to be most comfortable let's take people step by step as far as exactly what you did all you need really is one of these uh, 16 inch by 16 inch nursery trays uh, maybe some uh, shopping bags or newspaper and, and, and some potting soil yeah, it really was that easy, and about a pinch of lettuce seed is maybe what it what it uh, amounted to. Yeah, I either put you can put about a half dozen layers of newspaper or a double layer of brown paper bag on the bottom of those trays. Fill them with some quality potting mix. Really, just took a pinch of lettuce seed, sprinkled it evenly, and then just uh, took about another two handfuls of dirt and lightly covered the seeds watered them and waited a few weeks and my wife and i actually ate 
half of one of those yesterday and it was delicious lettuce. Not only was it satisfying because I grew it my own, but the quality was superb also. So it was a double bonus. Were you using one variety or did you uh, mix up a bunch of varieties? I did two that were just uh, like a romaine style and I did two that were a mixed green, uh, just a, a mix of about a half dozen different types of lettuce. Yeah, lettuce seed is can be tricky to plant because it's so small, but I imagine in a 16 by 16 inch tray, if you just uh, sort of scatter them around, uh, that'll be okay. Did you have to thin any out? I planned on doing it when originally I was going to let them grow two weeks and then some of the more crowded areas I was going to put some here and put some there or even around my yard or in my beds and stuff and then go from there. But I got busy and missed that window so they can grow well either way. It's a good way. Like I said, you can take and transplant them after about two weeks, take a little spoon and scoop a thing out and transplant them. And I actually left them as is and they just kind of uh, grew together and it worked out really good. How tall did they get after one month of growth? I would say that they're between two and four inches tall and growing fast right now also. So, um, but I did actually scissor trimmed it, um, half of it. We ate that. And then I'm assuming it will, that one half will actually grow back, but it would also be very simple to just, uh, start one of these once a week or something like that. Get on a pattern also. Exactly. So to harvest it, all you're doing is cutting off the tops and then serving it with dinner and, and letting what remains grow again. Yeah, yeah, so you can actually get multiple harvests off of it. It's uh, cut about two-thirds of the tops off. You get all the good part, and the plant still has a root and a little bit of leaves, and it'll bounce back, and you'll get a second harvest. Now, here in the middle of California, it gets real warm in the summertime, and it's very difficult to grow lettuce here because the heat makes it bolt. But if you're starting it from seed and you're harvesting it when it's one month old, the plant doesn't have time to bolt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's actually one of the things because it's that second month of growth when it's too hot um, and just pinned in the sun. Sometimes typically your garden area where you planted them is full sun. And then by the time summer gets going, that's not the, the happiest place for lettuce. <laughs> so, yeah, there was no bitterness. I mean, the, the texture, the flavor, everything was so superb. Also, it's, uh, it's a good all around technique. I'm trying that experiment, too, and I can't wait for the results in one month, and I think that's going to be a, a go-to plan. We should point out, too, that those who don't know what a nursery tray is, it is, as I said, 16 inches by 16 inches. It's only about one inch deep, and usually if you go to a nursery and buy plants and you're buying a lot of plants, they'll let you take that tray home, and I would suggest that you look for the trays with the smaller holes on the bottom. There are two types yeah. of trays. There's one with that have sort of a one-inch grid of, of a bottom, but there are ones that are not necessarily solid, but it, it is perforated. There are holes in it, but that would, I think, allow the uh, soil to remain intact better. Yeah, yeah, you could. I've used them both, but the ones, like you said, the ones that have, like, 100 little pencil hole sizes, those work a little bit better for sure. They contain the dirt. And even if you have a bit of a blowout um, with your paper bag or newspapers tearing or whatever, you don't have as much of a chance of soil getting all over the place. Let me ask you about wild boar farms. You're a seed company. You're a plant company. Are nurseries running out of your seeds? 
Um, well, I sell plants to the nurseries, so they're definitely, they seem to be selling them as fast as they can, they can get them. Um, they're, they're definitely been a hot seller. The seeds have been a good sell too. I'm just unfortunate to be in the right business right now. But one of the problems with plants is it's a two month journey and no one saw this coming. It was so surprising. So there was little room to compensate ahead of time or anything. So, um, the nurseries only had what they had, you know, what they're expecting to sell, what on the average they would sell. And then all of a sudden when they're increasing their, their sales by quite a bit, um, it leaves a hole in the market and then kind of got a little bit of a panic buy thing going on too. So it's a great time to learn how to grow. Everybody wants to, uh, my wife and I took a little bike ride this morning and there was six different houses we saw in the neighborhood that had brand new raised beds in the front yard. I'm not even sure how many people are building them in the backyard, but we couldn't believe how many people are turning a section of their yard into a food plot. And that's a, that's a great thing. Exactly. And, and you bring up a very good point about front yard gardens in, in many uh, suburban lot areas. The, the trees are so tall, the only sunny spot might be in the front yard. But check with your local county zoning ordinances to make sure it's okay. And if it's not okay, pester them to change the rules so you're allowed to have a vegetable garden in the front yard. Tell us about uh, the, the the hot varieties at, at, at Wild Boar Farms. I, I probably would think this year it's every variety. <laughs> yeah, it made it easy. There's Brad's Atomic Grape, Berry's Crazy Cherry, Blue Beauty, Lucid Gem. Uh, I have a new one, Kryptonite. It's been really popular. I try to think of the ones that I offer or can't go wrong selection just because I've grown so many to get to where I'm at. I've tried thousands of varieties, so I always try to say that every variety that I do have, somebody's told me it's their favorite. So so they all have potential. Do you still have seed available for sale? Yeah, I'm just, uh, this has been my busiest April ever. Usually the seed sales kind of die about this time of year, but um, I'm sitting here at the seed packing table right now. And so I still have seed available. I have run out. I have about 60 varieties, about 20 of them. I'm actually out of stock. It's been kind of crazy, but uh, it's a good thing. People are, people are growing. And you're it's updating good. that information on your website, I would think. Yeah, yeah. There's getting to be less selections, but I still have a great selection. And there's still technically time. A, a lot of people, you're, you're looking, if you start seeds now, you'd be like first or second week of June. Um, it could be hit or miss in this area. Some people, a lot of areas, you can do just fine planting in June. Exactly, yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with uh, starting from seed now in order to get it to transplant size, like you say, in six weeks, maybe even four or five weeks, depending upon how vigorous they grow. In Here in California, you're harvesting all the way through Thanksgiving. In other parts of the country, major planting doesn't usually begin in backyard gardens in colder sections until probably after Mother's Day or the first few weeks of June. Yeah, yeah. And spreading out your planting is always good anyways. Uh, you said if you want to have that really nice late harvest, that's usually the plant that you did plant uh, late. When I commercial plant, I always planted, you know, a bunch in April, a bunch in May, and a bunch in June. And that was like the best insurance I could have for having a full long harvest season. Well, I would advise people that if you're now curious about Wild Boar Farms tomato seeds and you want to order some, you better do it quickly. Uh, The website is wildboarfarms.com and uh, grab the seeds while they're still available. 
Brad Gates of Wild Boar Farms, thanks so much for telling us about the Cheapskate Salad Garden, and I'm looking forward to that. All right. Well, thanks, Fred, and thanks for sharing.